Good morning, church family. It is good to be with you. Uh, hope Thanksgiving was good. I uh, want to talk to you a little bit about how we're going to shift towards Christmas, uh, which is what we're doing here. And if you were like me, you were not raised in a heritage that celebrated Advent. That wasn't part of what we did. But I want you to know that this is something that's it's a custom, it's a tradition, and it's something that we've decided to embrace here over the last few years, and something that is good. And I, I want to tell you why. Uh, the idea that we could turn our heads towards the coming of Christ, and it will be something that we would anticipate and something that we would have joy in, and really something that we could actually sit and soak in the idea of Jesus coming and entering into this world. I know for a long time, um, I was taught that it's our distinctness that is worth celebrating. But as we learn how big the kingdom of God is, and as we learn what a great thing it is to know the number of people that bow their knee to Christ and that we get to share that with, I think it is in this cooperation, this celebrating together, this opportunity we have to see how great, how wide, how deep the kingdom of God is that we get to share in this together. And I think that is we're celebrating, and so over the next few weeks, we are going to spend some time in this. We're going to talk about hope today. We're going to talk about peace and joy and love, and uh, we are going to soak in the idea of the coming of Jesus into this world, because no event was bigger, and so uh, we're excited to be able to do that. So I tell you what, as we always do, let's start with a prayer uh, for the wide kingdom of God, and especially the kingdom here in Kerrville. And I want to mention again uh, the opportunity we have to kind of join in with believers all over this city in that Christmas prayer walk that will be happening on the 6th at 5.30. It's an opportunity for us to gather with other believers. I think you walk downtown, you go to multiple different churches, we get to get in there together, we get to hear a message of the gospel, we get to sing some songs together, and then, the, of course, when Christians gather together, what's going to happen? There's going to be food. So there's going to be cookies, there's going to be hot chocolate and that sort of thing. So uh, let's pray. Holy God, we do thank you uh, that we are not just a remnant here in this place, but there are many, many who bow their knee and claim Christ as Lord. And Lord, uh, we know your desire and our desires for all things to be redeemed and to be reconciled and come under the Lordship of Christ. Not to be ruled over, but instead to be set free from the uh, difficulties of this world and from the hopelessness that can come. So, Lord, we thank you that we are part of uh, a large kingdom. Lord, we ask that as uh, we remember this Advent time, as we turn our, our head and our minds towards Christmas, uh, that we would remember uh, what a powerful thing it is that believers all over the world are doing the same. And so in us all bending our knee and uh, rejoicing together, Lord, that most of all, you will be glorified, and we will be drawn closer to our Heavenly Father, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. So we're going to start talking about hope, and we're going to talk about hope today, and hope is one of those words that, if you're not careful, can get really mixed up a lot, right? Hope is a word that we use in our culture so much interchangeably with wish, and it's amazing how that happens. Like just this past week, I want to tell you, I was able to witness several different parts of, of this uh, kind of hope light that we're talking about, this, this idea of it being a wish. For instance, if you work, if you happen to work with someone who maybe was raised in Argentina, and then the World Cup comes along, and then they start playing soccer, and you see your home team, Argentina, playing, 
in one of these soccer matches, I want you to know that the hope meter just skyrockets for you. I've never seen anybody get so excited about this. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I won't mention their name. It's Ricky Pruitt. But if, <laughs> if you were to think about that, is the idea of what could possibly happen in a soccer game and in the World Cup, it's amazing. And then Clark jumps into it too. And uh, I haven't seen Clark today. There was some short-haired guy up here, but uh, I'm sure Clark will be here at some point. Uh, but he jumps into the same thing. And then you start seeing that there's this hope in what can happen in these soccer games. It's really quite amazing. And that's, well, that's what we turn to, right? I hope they win. I hope that what happens is the team that I'm rooting for will come through and then they will win. And that's uh, oftentimes how we use the word hope. But that's, that's not what we're talking about. But even as a child, we start out that way. I want to tell you, I had this great hope as a child for this gift. I started thinking about the, the, the gift that I most wanted at Christmas. And uh, I was 10 years old. And what I wanted more than anything in the world was a go-kart. I wanted a go-kart. You know, just it, the idea of a little kid having a car that was really his own. And I even found one that I liked, and I wanted to get it. And so I, I prayed about it. I, I talked to God about the go-kart, just so you know. I was talking to the Lord about the go-kart for a long time. And then uh, managed to get uh, some money scraped together, and my dad bought, bought the rest of it, and I got this go-kart. And it wasn't just a go-kart. I bought it from a friend who souped it up. I mean, his dad was a race car driver, and so it came with a can of airplane fuel that I could put into it to make it go. I mean, we were serious about this. And, and so I had my go-kart that was souped up with my airplane fuel, and then I had an uncle who gave me his motorcycle helmet, and so it was an adult motorcycle helmet, but I have a big head, so it sat on top, and I got a picture of me standing there in a skinny little rail of a body and this giant helmet looking like a blow pop, getting ready to jump into this go-kart and was going to take off, and man, it was fun. It was so fun. It, it, at the beginning, it fulfilled every expectation that I had of how fun it would be. I mean, think about it. You're 11 years old, and you're buzzing up and down the street in this thing, out in the dirt. We're having races. Other kids have them. I'm blowing everybody away. It was so much fun. And for a few weeks, it was. And then for a couple of months after that, it kind of waned a little bit. And then by the time you start hitting 13 and 14, you know, it's kind of a kid's toy, and you start thinking about getting a real car. This one doesn't satisfy anymore, and so I start thinking about the idea of getting a real car. And so the hopes that I had for this really were fulfilled maybe for a little bit, but eventually it just kind of died out. And that's what happens with things in this world. What we're talking about is a hope that goes much deeper than that. We're talking about something that's, that's everlasting. We're talking about something that changes who we are. And really it can be into just this one little switch of the word, if you've ever thought about this, is I hope that is a pretty minor thing. That's like, I hope that Argentina wins their game, right? I hope uh, that I get a raise at work. Uh, I hope that my house sells. All of those things, right? I hope that. I hope that she says yes. I hope we win the game. I hope I get a raise. All of those different things. But if you just change just a couple of words, my hope is in, changes everything. It adds weight to that sentence. This moves from just a, a wish that I have that something will occur, to really, where does my future lie? All of a sudden, there's all this weight that's thrown onto the sentence with just the change of a couple of words. My hope is in. I put my hope in. All of a sudden, there's all this weight, because it means, what is there at the end of this life that will make it all worthwhile? 
That's the sort of my hope I'm talking about. That's the, is there a purpose? Is there something that's going to tie all this together? Is there something that can give me peace about my future and joy about my past, contentment in my present? Is there something out there that can provide all of those things? Hope that we place and that we have is about a future that is more than just better than now. It's about a future that will satisfy the ache and the longings that we have. Something that I can put my hope in that will eventually make me complete. Timothy Keller says that our desires are much deeper than any of us could ever imagine because God put them there. And so hope is really the answer to the question, is life meaningless? It's getting heavier and heavier. There's a poet, Wallace Stevens, and he talked of trying to find an imperishable bliss. That there's something out there that's an imperishable bliss. There's something I can find that will give me bliss that won't go away. It won't die. It won't rot. It won't rust. can't be stolen. And it won't fade. So there's something out there that you can put your hope in that actually changes you in that way. Because if you can, then what happens is you actually live different now for something that can happen in the future. That hope is about a future we don't see yet, but it dramatically changes the way we live. And you start thinking about that and go, what could possibly bear the weight of that much? Who or what could possibly accomplish that? What could withstand that unbearable weight of having to satisfy and complete all of these people? And so what you end up with is you end up with a world that's looking for this and maybe doesn't even know that they are, but they're trying to find this hope, something to place their future in that will actually make everything make sense and will make me complete and will give me this imperishable bliss. And what could possibly withstand that? And so you end up with this earthly sort of hope versus this spiritual sort of hope. And let me, let me give you an idea of what an earthly hope looks like and how it goes. It's this idea that there's something out there in my future that I can get. There's something that I can find, and it'll actually provide this hope that I can place myself in. It begins early in life, as I said, with maybe a toy, something that we can have, a possession, that there's something external, there's an actual object, and if I can reach it, and if I can grab it, then it will fulfill the deepest desires that I have. And as a child, we start off that way with something that we could have. Maybe it's a toy. And then we move to a place where maybe it's a friend. I'd like to have friends. And then we find out that that's not enough. I'd like to have more than one friend. I'd like to have multiple friends. And then we start turning that into really what I'd like to do is I'd like to have multiple friends that think about me in a certain way. I'd really like to be popular. It's what it would really be nice. And then we realize that that's not enough just to be popular. And what we really desire is the admiration of people. It's their respect. It's something that we can maybe achieve through awards or something like that where people look at us and they admire us. They have admiration for us. We want notoriety, and then that's not enough. So then it moves, and it moves into money, and not just some money, but a lot of money. I remember being in college and thinking, man, once I get out of here and I start working, I'm going to be so thrilled. All my problems will go away because it's not about spending money anymore. It's about making money. And then I got that job that was $21,000 a year, and I want to tell you, man, didn't fulfill all my dreams at all. <laughs> Immediately went into debt. And then it's once I can get that taken care of and get out of that debt, everything will be great. And I actually have had a time in my life where I remember looking at my checkbook and going, I've never had this much money in my life. I've never had this much. This is more than I've ever had. 
And all I could do was think about how I could add to it. And I was afraid that I'd lose it. Didn't satisfy in any way at all. This earthly hope is the idea that there's something out there that if you can just grasp, if you can get it, if you can wrap your hands around it, this object, then all of a sudden everything will make sense. You'll have peace and you'll be complete. When we realize that doesn't work, oftentimes what happens with earthly hope is we move from a thing to a person. There's a someone. There's a someone out there that can fulfill me. There's someone, if I could just meet them, and maybe if I could get in a relationship with them, then all of a sudden everything would make sense. I'd be whole and I'd be complete. I'd have a hope for my future. I'd know where I'm going. This would be somebody maybe who could love me completely and who will never abandon me in any way, who will see me actually for who I am and still be okay with who I actually am would love me in every way about that, someone who would admire me and respect me, someone who could see me for who I could be and then would help me get there, something that I can rely on. Their love will never fail. It'll never leave and it'll never go away. I, I, I don't know if you know, who, you know who Arthur Miller is. I did a little reading about Arthur Miller. There was a guy who was a playwright. He was back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. He was a playwright. He actually wrote... You know this one? Death of a Salesman. Right, he wrote Death of a Salesman. Yeah. He's kind of a nerdy guy, a book guy, but a smart guy, and he'd accomplished a lot. But then what happened was he met Marilyn Monroe. And he and Marilyn Monroe fell in love, and he ended up marrying her, the most beautiful woman in the world at that time. And I remember, if you see some of the conversation that he had about that, is this idea that a nerdy sort of book guy like me you know, who spends all his times with his nose down and writing and all of this, and then Marilyn Monroe fell in love with him. And he was like, this is going to fulfill all my dreams. This will make me a whole different person. I will be different now that she loves me. Once this happens, things are going to change. And I can put my faith in that, and I can put my hope in that. She'll make me complete and whole. We start finding someone and thinking, you'll fix everything that I don't like about myself, and you'll bring meaning to my suffering, and you can provide me with endless and perishable bliss. That's where it will be, is in that relationship. And then you realize to put that much weight on a thing, or even more, a person, is a cruel thing to do. Because there's no person who can withstand that. It is a crushing expectation to put my hope for my future in who I am and what I'll be, and how this will all end on a human being. No one can withstand that. My wife, I love more than any person in this world, and we have a great marriage. And I don't mind telling you that. We work at it. We have an exceptional marriage. I'll tell you that. And she loves me more than any other human being in this world. And she knows more about me than any other human being in this world. And she still loves me more than anyone else in this entire world. But you need to know, as much as I love her, she is not it for me. She can't be. That's more than she can bear. I wouldn't put that on her. The idea of saying, I am who I am only because of you. That if you were to go away, I'm not who I am anymore. It would hurt my identity. It would change who I am. It would be the end of me. It would be the end of my future. You complete me. No matter what uh, the movie says, that can't happen with another human being. It's a crushing weight to put on someone, and I can't fulfill that for her. Together, we follow Christ. 
What happens in that is that he is the one who sets that for us, and we get to enjoy that walk together, and we get to hold on tight with each other together. Arthur Miller's marriage to the most beautiful woman in the world who was going to change everything about him, this is an accomplished guy, lasted only a couple of years. Only a few years, and then they got divorced. What he found out was that someone can't change you. Being married and being attached to someone, no matter how beautiful, no matter how they seem to be the woman of your dreams or the person that will change you from a book nerd into the coolest guy in the world, it doesn't last. There's nothing that will last there. And so we end up doing, oftentimes in this world, in this earthly sort of hope, what he did. And he shifted from this person and saying, I can't put my hope in this person anymore. And then he started looking inward. As a matter of fact, his quote is that, I think it's a mistake to ever look for hope outside of oneself. He said that after the divorce. You realize he had put his hope in a person and it crushed her and it damaged him and it let him down and he was unable to do it. So now what he did is what a lot of people do. And he said, okay, then it's not external, it's not a thing, and it's not a person. Then what it needs to be is it's something here that I can find, that I can pull out. And that's where we are in the world in a lot of ways. The world will say that you can find your truth and you can find your contentment. It's in you. You just need to dig in there and you need to find it. You can change yourself to be better and then you can change your actions to do better. But what happens with that is we start realizing that we're flawed people. And through hard lessons, we learn that people will let you down. And it's not just people that will let you down. You will let you down. I can't be my imperishable bliss. I cannot withstand the burden of that. I know me. I'm fickle. And I'm mistake prone. And I'm sinful. And I let myself down. I cannot be all of that to myself. There is no number of good and meaningful things for me to do that will finally make me complete and that will make me whole. There are not enough good Christian things for me to do that will make me complete and make me whole. Just like other things, my good works and my good deeds get crushed under the weight of a hope that it just cannot bear in any way. I've seen this. I want to tell you, I, have a, I had a grandfather I've mentioned him before. I had a grandfather I loved dearly. I mean, I just thought he was the world. He was a, um, he was a major in the Department of Public Safety, so he was a regional commander. Uh, I drove a police car, and I'm a kid, and I'm getting to turn the lights on and off. He came and picked me up for spring break one time in the DPS chopper, and I got to fly back to his house in a helicopter. <laughs> Threw up the whole way. <laughs> you can talk about your hope being let down. That was not what I envisioned for that trip. But I thought he was just the greatest thing in the world. And a godly man, oh man, just always mature, doing the right thing. The sort of guy that you could look to. And as a kid, I just looked and went, that's who I want to be. That's what I want to be like. An elder in the church. And then we sat with him. He lived to be 95. And as he got to the end of his life, remember we're sitting there and we're talking to him. And he said these words. I hope I've done enough. Oh, man, hurt. That hurt. You'd have somebody who walked with the Lord for that long and still at the end of it to go, it seemed like he put his hopes in his good deeds. And I remember breaking my heart thinking, well, of course you haven't done enough. Nobody ever asked you to do enough. That wasn't ever part of the deal. 
was that you do enough. It's what God has done that's been enough. And I'm thankful we got to have that conversation with him before he passed. I'm thankful for the grace of Christ that covers him, even if he maybe misplaced his hope a little bit in the things that he did. I'm thankful that I know he walks with his Savior even after this life. Because as much as he could, he put his hope in Christ. But we learn that when it has to do with our own deeds and what we will find inside of us and what we can do, that we will let ourselves down, that it cannot withstand the crushing weight of our deepest desires, and it can't be the thing that will give us hope. So what in the world can bear the weight of this? What can withstand the pressure of this hope that we need to put in? And this is where Christ comes in for us. This is where everything changes because it would have to be someone with tremendous power and it would have to be someone who has tremendous love. That's the only way for this to work. You don't want to put your hope in anybody who's not powerful beyond belief and not loving beyond imagination. There's nobody else you can trust. There's nobody else who has the strength to be able to do this that this won't crush. It has to be power because they would have to overcome all of the things of this world that steal our hope. So it's going to have to be a powerful person. They're going to have to be stronger than self-doubt. They're going to have to be stronger than loneliness and pain and illness. They're going to have to be stronger than my mistakes. They have to be stronger than my shortcomings and my shame and my guilt. And they're going to have to be stronger than even death itself. Someone more powerful than all of those things. Someone who will have to come and confront all of those things and defeat them and make a footstool of them under himself. And it would have to be someone loving. Because to put all your trust and all of your hope and all of your future and who you have been and who you are and who you're going to be within, them, within their hands, it would have to be someone so loving that you could trust them with that. Because it has to be someone who's willing to pay the price for others to have that. No one else is willing to do the sacrifice that it would take to make sure that I have the hope that I need. That the deepest desires of my heart, that that imperishable bliss that I'm looking for, would actually be something within reach. It would have to be someone who's loving enough to step into the world without hope and to bear its hardship and its suffering and its pain so that he can provide hope for someone else. Go to a, come from a place of perfect hope in communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God, and to leave that, to come to a place that can kill hope, and to say, I will withstand all of that, I'll go through all of that, I will face every bit of that, so that you can have the hope that you desperately need, despite whether the fact that you know you need it, and even to some people who didn't want it. Only Christ can do that. That is that difference between the earthly hope and that spiritual hope. That is why we have faith in Christ. It's the only one that can do that. Because there's the thing about an earthly hope. The thing about an earthly hope that's different than a spiritual hope is that an earthly hope is always about something we don't yet have, but that we believe someday we will. I don't yet have it, but I believe it's out there, and somehow I'll find it. Maybe I'll fall into it. Maybe I'll achieve it through my work. It's about the things, something we don't yet have, but believe someday we will. But the thing about a spiritual hope in Christ is it's about something you already have, but we have a difficulty believing that we possess it. That's the difference. It's not something you're looking for. It's something you have. We just have a hard time believing we already have it. We 
We have a hard time believing that it's already in our possession. Earthly hope is about what may happen in the future, something I can acquire and find and gather, something that I can become, something I can change about me. And the most important word in that earthly hope is if. If I can find, if I can do, if I can be, if I can change. That's the most important word in that. But for a spiritual hope, it's about what's happened in the past. It's about what's already done. It's what God has accomplished, who he has made me to be. And the most important word in the spiritual hope is because. It's not if, it's because. Because this has happened, I have this hope. Because I've already been changed, this is who I am. This is why I love this scripture that was read, that Cooper read for us at the beginning, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. One of the things that it talks about is, it talks about how, this is, just so you know, there was some background on this scripture. This is right after the Hebrew writer is talking about the sacrifices that have been given through the Jewish people for a long time. And one of the things that he says is the priest would have to make these sacrifices over and over and over again to wash away our sin. It would have to be daily. They'd have to be yearly. And he's going, the problem with that is it having to be over and over, you couldn't put your hope in it because you'd have to do it again. And you'd have to do it again. And then he talks about Jesus making this sacrifice once and for all for all of us. And so there's these words that he uses. It starts out with therefore, and there's words like since. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, the chapter, that chapter is full of words like therefore and since. They have to do with because of what's happened. Those are because words. Because this has happened, this is what you are. Because this has happened, this is where your hope lies. Because this is already done, here's how you can live now. It's lots of because words. Therefore, since, because. Looking back at what's already been done. These things have already happened. You're already able to enter the most holy place. The actual presence of the living God. You have the ability to draw near to God. You have a guilty conscience that's already been cleansed because of this great sacrifice, this great love, and this great power. That's what it's about. It's saying because of the great love and the great power of Jesus, you already have these things. You need to believe it, and you need to live into it, and you need to put all your chips in on that hope. Amen. Bet it all right there. Then there's those words of power that come in in verse 23. These are words of confidence, and these are words of full assurance. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he has promised it and he is faithful. That's who you can trust with your future. That's where you can put your hope, and there's only one with the power and there's only one with that much love that you want to trust your future and your deepest desires to actually be known and to be loved and to have a future where you don't just fade away and disappear, but instead we have an eternal hope that comes from Christ. One of the things that I heard a rabbi once talk about with the Jewish people that he said is very different from us is he said when we start looking into the future, and when I say we, I mean Western people, when we start looking into the future, oftentimes what happens is we look out there about where we're going to be and what's going to happen, and what's going to happen to us. And with that, we start getting anxious 
because we feel like there's no way to know. But for Eastern people in particular, he was talking about Jewish people, he said what we do is we walk forward looking backwards. So as we enter into a new aspect of our life, what we do is we have confidence in what's going to happen based on what's happened in the past. That's why you'll see Jewish people talk so much about when they have Passover again that they say, we were in bondage. And what happened was the Lord delivered us. That's what he does. He redeemed us. He gave us a place. He gave us rest. He gave us himself. That's what he did. So what's going to happen in the future? Same thing. We will be redeemed. We will be set free. We will be given a place. Because of what's happened in the past, I go forward looking with great confidence in where I'm going to be. Because Jesus came, we know Jesus will come. Right? Because he did love all the way to the cross and the empty tomb, he will love. We have that. Because he did rescue, he will rescue. Because he did redeem, he will redeem. Because he made them his own, he makes us his own. Because he defeated death, he will defeat death for us. Because. Not if, but because. And that's where our hope lies. If I can, I'd like to finish out today with giving you a blessing from Romans 15, 13. If you would, please stand. That will remind us all. I tell you what, let's, let's, let's read this for each other. So if you would, join me in this. This is Romans 15, 13. We will speak the words of truth and the words of hope to one another to remind ourselves. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the hope that we have in you, we are so grateful. We are grateful that uh, that hope has been purchased for us. It came with a great cost, with so much love. That the Lord that we know, the creator of the universe, entered into this world that can steal your hope so much and defeated every hope stealer that there is. Everything that can, that can rob us of knowing our eternity, of knowing how much we're loved, of knowing who we belong to and where we belong was all defeated. And so, Lord, we have great joy now. We want to live in a place of joy because we know where our hope lies. We know where our future is. We know that the hope that we have was purchased with a, an ugly cross and an empty tomb. And because of that, Lord, we do place all of our future and all of our hope in you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.